Hello, Annie McLaughlin here for this week's edition of Stick Together, focusing on union news and social justice issues. Three issues for today's Stick Together. Two are union victories. One is a watching brief. First up is the suspension with pay of La Trobe University Academic Rose Ward. The second is the victory for Sunshine West Industrial Estate Workers at Bitza. And the third is the issue of shipbuilding in Australia, but more particularly in South Australia. First up is the suspension with pay of La Trobe University Academic Rose Ward. The university sent Ms Ward a letter saying she had undermined public confidence in the university, her skills as a researcher, and by association, the Safe Schools Programme, the programme that creates an anti-bullying framework in Victorian schools to protect LBGT students, the bête noir of every right-wing fundamentalist in the country. What did Ms Ward do, you ask? Under a photograph of the gay and lesbian flag flying above Victorian Parliament, Ms Ward joked with a friend on Facebook, now we just need to get rid of the racist Australian flag on top of State Parliament and get a red one up there and my work is done. Ms Ward has been reinstated after her union, the NTEU, threatened legal action But the question of La Trobe's integrity and academic freedom is still on the front burner. I spoke to Jeannie Ray, National Secretary of the NTEU, the National Tertiary Education Union, on what What happened. What La Trobe University did was try and find a reason to attack Ros Ward as one of their employees, but Ros is the coordinator of the Safe Schools Project. Ros has bravely and consistently advocated for the project with all the attacks that have been made on it by, well, starting with the Murdoch media, of course, but also by right-wing politicians and commentators. Now, what I think has happened over time is that the university management and the vice-chancellor have succumbed to the pressure from these right-wing forces to try and, um, I think, pull back on their support of the project. It's interesting that Professor Dewar, the Vice-Chancellor, had uh, maintained his support for the Safe Schools project, but then argued, and he argued this in an email to all staff after Ros was reinstated, that there was something to be gained by in some ways isolating Ros from the project. Um, And indeed attacking her on the basis of her political views is, um, of course, against um, the law on a number of levels, which is what the NTU challenged her on in relation to the Collective Agreement, the Fair Work Act, the Victorian Equal Opportunity Act. They are all areas within which we thought we would have a case if uh, Latrobe hadn't responded to our letter threatening to go this way. We would be pursuing that, and I think we would have had a, very much had a case because it is actually unlawful to persecute somebody, to actually want to seek the sacking of somebody because they hold a political view. You are actually allowed in this country to have a political opinion and hold down a job. So you, what you're saying is that uh, they are actually looking for an excuse, and it was actually about Safe Schools uh, Project, and uh, that uh, ultimately 
despite the fact that Rose Ward has been uh, reinstated, she's had to resign her position as a consultant to the Victorian government. Is that correct? Out of this. What I understand is there's a committee that she was a member of and she did resign her position on that committee and she did that under direction of her supervisor of the university. They actually did achieve something out of this. We understand that the university sought that resignation from Ros um, after um, having been approached by the state government. Now, the state government, of course, has been has and they have said a number of times that they've had nothing to do with though, the attempts to try and um, lose uh, Ros her job at La Trobe. However, aware of the view that her Ros serving on that committee, of course, is part of her job and aware of the view that the Victorian government should actually reinstate her to that position. I don't think there can be anybody who could argue that Ros has not been extremely effective in her job and indeed... The Latrobe's attacks on her at no stage said that she wasn't doing a good job. And indeed, you know, they had to come up with this furious um, method of um, picking up something from the Australian, such a good source on things, I don't think. The Australian who somehow got hold of a personal Facebook post criticising the Australian flag as racist. I think one of the interesting reactions to uh, Ros's post, uh, there are flag is racist, um, or is that so many people didn't understand it was an issue, um, either because they agreed or they didn't think that you weren't allowed to have that sort of discussion in this country. So um, on either level, um, it wasn't uh, wasn't a controversial issue unless you made it such. We found it ironic um, that Latrobe still has on its website a post um, an article from several years ago where an academic has talked about the, the Australian flag as representative of racist values. Now, that's still there. I'm hoping that now that's been um, picked up and it was picked up in the media, that um, that particular academic isn't now facing um, discipline or um, some troubles. But I suspect not because, of course, um, they were after something to get try and get Ros on, not... Um, seriously pursuing such a foolish um, claim. There was a comment made by Jane Kenway, who's a highly, highly regarded um, academic. She's an ARC fellow and an Academy of the Social Sciences fellow. What um, Latrobe was doing was, was not actually just about turning on their staff member, but contributing to a culture of fear, a fear amongst academic staff that if they put their heads up, they fear the loss of funding, fear being disciplined by their institution, fear they may be scapegoated and it is becoming increasingly difficult for academics to do exactly what they should be doing, which is, of course, fearlessly and courageously taking up um, unpopular issues and doing um, research that could come up with um, outcomes which are um, going to be unpopular too, but with, but, but with which we've got to deal with as a society. Mind you, it, it does prove uh, how important the union, the NTU is, and the EBA, ne- the negotiated uh, workplace uh, agreements are when it comes to this sort of attack on an individual. Look, it's it's absolutely. I, I mean, mother, I don't know how else I could possibly say you are really exposed if you're not in a union, whether it's, of course, 
our union in the universities or whatever place that one works in is you need the protection of the union and then you need a union that will go in and back for you, frankly, and that will um, consider that the things that we fight so hard to get in our enterprise agreements and picking up the uh, laws of the land and the Workplace Relations Act, in this case too, of that one must have freedom of expression in the workplace for people who work as in universities to have that um, academic freedom to act. Um, these things are things that we put in industrial agreements because they are industrial rights that enable people to do their work and to do the best work they can. So uh, the message really has to come out of Ros's case and Ros has articulated this herself very strongly that when you're um, vulnerable, you do need your union. But the only way that it works, the union can go and persecute you know, the individual's case but when it works, it works because people stand together and collectively. And you know, the the university, La Trobe University, didn't um, withdraw Rose's suspension and put and the serious misconduct charges because they thought they were unlawful, unlawful and they were wrong. They said that they didn't think they were wrong, but they withdrew them because, well, both the unions threatened them with this is what we're going to do about it. But because there was a massive reaction from amongst our members and fortunately too out into the broader community. So it says how important union membership is, I think, but it also says how important it is that um, that we are part of a labour movement and part of a community. second union victory for the program comes from Sunshine West Industrial Estate. Members of the Victorian Australian Manufacturing Workers Union working at Bitzer, a German company with a long history in Sunshine West, building refrigerator parts for supermarkets and large industrial refrigerators, went on indefinite strike over changes to rosters and the development of a two-tier employment arrangement at the site. The strike finished last Thursday after nine weeks to the satisfaction of the workers. I talked to Craig Kelly, Assistant State Secretary of the Victorian AMWU, about what happened. The workplace bitter. It's been there for quite some time. It's a very good union shop, specialised work, you know, very dedicated, you know, hard-working people from you know, a very diverse background. So, yeah, so the company um, had had a two-tiered system where there was half on a 38-hour week, half on a 36-hour week. There was half that in income protection. That, that wasn't enough, so they put a, um, a system in place where they had split shifts, three groups starting between 6 and 9 o'clock. They yeah. managed to roster it, roster it in, and effectively that um, cut out all over time. What it, what it did was that you know, people who, you know, they'd sort of structured their family life around particular shift pattern that they'd worked for, you know, for decades, it was some, suddenly thrown into turmoil with, you know, family and caring responsibilities. Yep. And they'd got some pretty good legal advice. It was something that was likely, if it had been, you know, argued through the disputes resolution procedure... Uh, the likelihood of it um, getting up in favour of the workers, you know, wasn't, you know, we weren't that confident in. 
So the discipline of these workers, they thought, well, look, all right, when our agreement comes up, we're just going to have to fix all these injustices um, and get a bit of fairness back in. And, of course, the company, they, they sort of said, look, there's no pay increases for you. The other thing, too, there's casuals that have been there for a number of years and never you know, had the you know, conversion to permanent. Yep. So there was, a, was really about justice and fairness. And, and also consultation, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Look, that's right. They their consultation was, you know, the boss's consultation, where it's they just tell you what they're about to do. Yeah. And you know, that's about it. So, um, credit to them. We began negotiations, and it was pretty clear that you know the the boss of the company were you know intent on holding on to you know the wretched conditions that they instituted. Was it more profitable for them to change the things around? Was that what they were arguing? What it was was that they they were trying to, you know, with the two-tiered, like the different, you know, the split shifts that was to save on overtime because they cut the afternoon shift out completely because they had, a, you know, the spread of hours that, you know, sort of suited you know, suited their profitability without with, without regard to you know people's you know you know personal life and you know community obligations. They, then, of course, they had the what these grandfathered conditions that had been you know, hard fought for and won. Um, and they and wanted was, to get rid of them, so anybody yeah, who knew came in didn't get that's them. That's right. Yeah. And then they had a they wanted to institute a um, you know start off wage, which was way lower. Ah, oh, right. Okay. So it was really, it was just like a big reset button. The troops decided, you know, and their first um, industrial action was to go out indefinitely. And I've got to say, it's so inspirational. They were so um, dedicated and so disciplined. They had, you know, sort of, you know, well supported by the union, but they had, took a lot of ownership themselves. They um, had, you know, 24, you know, seven rosters. Um, and was well participated yeah, the picket, yeah. yep. And then, you know, we'd rostered our, our organisers so that there was always, you know, a union official there. Because they make these coils that they really needed and they, they sort of wouldn't be trouble without these coils. Um, they did actually have a lot of work because they, they sort of, at the start of the bargaining, they were saying how bad things were, but then when they, they were getting squeezed, they... Um, was quite apparent that they had a lot of work and they really, you know, it was really about greed. <laughs> uh, so, um, you know, and it was it just made, you know, our organiser, Alistair Thomas, he done a, a terrific job, you know, along with, of course, our delegates and our members. It was just a great effort all round. A lot of it come down to the trust that they had in, in Alistair and, you know, they just said, look, you know, it's not, not worth, you know, going back unless we get everything. The document too had to be worded up before, you know, so they could be satisfied that what they'd agreed in principle did actually apply. What we settled on the company agreed to in principle in the fourth week, but I think they had a tactic of, you know, agree in principle and then do a saver with the wording while we're back on the job. Yeah. But credit to our members, they said, no, nah, we're not going back until it's it's in black and white, and. Yeah, we're absolutely certain that this is what applied. And you know, lo and behold, nine weeks later, the company finally agreed to the wording. Well, that's interesting, isn't it? So workers are becoming more canny. Um, I think they're just they're very 
very old school. They've seen it before. It's just, you know, like the, um, you know, putting the frog in the, in the saucepan. Yep. You know, they've, you know, they, they could see that, um, you know, over the years, I think they'd, the company had sort of ratcheted things, you know, their way a bit. And they just needed to make sure that, um, that they got back to the workplace, that they sort of built up the conditions they built up in that workplace. Do you have uh, any idea why the company decided to do it now? I think, I think the that they'd sort of bought these incrementally, bought you know, um, things in over the years. Uh, right. And a lot of agreements, um, it's up to legal interpretation. And if you get a good lawyer to look at, at the wording in your agreements, you can find loopholes, and I think this is what the company had done too. Right, so, okay. Yeah. Yeah, so, so they, were just, really being, uh, they yeah. were just doing what they considered to be good business? Well, they, they were trying to um, you know, increase their profit margins. The ebb and the flow of the negotiations, how did that work? Well, well how, it, how it goes is... Yeah, the way the way we the, the negotiations um, include you know the delegates and the, the organizer of course and then yeah there's always a report back meeting to the members yeah you need an endorsed endorsement at every step of the process so um, initially the company wouldn't wouldn't meet with us on site they wanted to you know sort of meet you know off site and they only wanted the organizer you know but then they started meeting on site again and and with so, all the members? Uh, well, with, with the delegates, because yeah. it's probably impractical to have, you know, 54 members, um, although it would be, you know, quite entertaining. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but we've got some really, you know, really um, good delegates there. Obviously, part of their, um, you know, being elected up as a delegate, we, you know, the union provides training for them and, you know, well supported by, you know, a good organiser. So, yeah. you know, you've got to try and build for success. Well, congratulations. That's great. Um, it's, a, it's a nice shining light on the horizon of uh, a tricky industrial period at the moment. Yeah, and look, the closing thing is that the, we're well, well supported by the rest of the union movement as well. Yeah. And, you know, different groups. We had, um, you know, some uh, student... Uh, student unions coming out. Um, we had a lot of you know, support from affiliates, and you know, really the credit goes to the the members that they just stuck together and wouldn't budge until you know that they got what they wanted. And it, that takes a lot of courage and discipline. And you know, one thing they they never ever complained one single bit. They just you know kept kept the discipline up, and that that is you know inspiring and rare. But it was it is a shining light, you're right. Thanks for your time, eh? Thank you. Bye. Bye. Stick together. Stick together. Stick together. Stick together. Stick together. Stick together. You're listening to Stick Together on Community Radio. Stick Together, the only national show in Australia covering union news and workers' stories. Our last issue for the program is one that hit the airwaves earlier this month when Prime Minister Turnbull arrived in South Australia 
promising that shipbuilding would continue at Adelaide shipyards with a government order for new frigates and offshore patrol vessels. After the announcement, the heat went out of the issue. But the devil is in the detail, and the fight is not over for local shipbuilding jobs, as I found out speaking to Glenn Thompson, Assistant National Secretary of the Australian Manufacturing Workers' Union. I was pretty taken by this uh, pretty colourful term, the valley of death, that's used. Can you explain that? The valley of death is effectively, um, it's, a, it's basically a period where there is no work in the industry. Australia has, uh, since Federation, has had a history of building this industry up and then winding this industry down. Um, effectively, um, there's a, an 18-month gap between the next required um, work and our campaign has been uh, about ensuring a continuous build smoothing out the program to ensure we main, um, build a skilled workforce, maintain a skilled workforce and have consistency off the industry, so uh, across the industry, so we don't confront this valley of death again where thousands of people lose their jobs. Um, our union and members right across the country um, have been campaigning for um, Australian jobs and Australian shipbuilding jobs for the last two years of this government. The reality is that there's been uh, around about 1,800 jobs lost across Victoria, Newcastle and uh, Adelaide as a result of the government not making decisions to bring forward work and have Australian companies build these future vessels. The announcements in recent time around the ships and the submarines um, are good political announcements, but the reality is... Um, in Adelaide, uh, before any of this work comes online, there'll be another 800 jobs um, go from the South Australian shipbuilding facilities. So they give 3,000 new shipping jobs to Spain for the construction of two Australian Navy supply ships, which Australian companies weren't allowed to tender for? Well, that's, that's correct. Um, we, as part of our campaign, were able to uh, get established a Senate inquiry into the shipbuilding industry. And it was in that in- inquiry that um, we took up the issue around why Australian companies were not allowed a tender for that work. The justification was that those vessels were uh, needed urgently. And some 18 months, two years on, contract announced um, in the middle of Australian jobs disappearing some 1,800 highly skilled jobs that cost industry and government around about $100 million to skill up. Um, We just think it's um, outrageous and we are continuing to call on the government to address the issue of that contract to ensure the Spanish um, establish the majority of that work still in country. There's still an opportunity for that to occur. In the middle of an election campaign, Turnbull needs to step up and uh, take action on that point. Because the election was coming, they then made this deal saying that, you know, it was all okay because a certain amount of jobs are actually going to stay in in 2018 and then go to Western Australia and something like 640 Australian shipbuilding jobs would would stay here because they were going to award uh, new frigates and offshore patrol vessels to Australian companies? Well, the the simple fact is that we know that our country needs these vessels. These are replacement vessels for our current um, Navy. 
Um, the simple fact is, is that the government's inaction over the last two and a half years not to allow Australian shipbuilders to tender for the supply ships, not bringing forward the patrol boats that are going to be built um, in Western Australia, uh, who knows when the contract hasn't been issued, to secure the jobs that are in place. Um, this government uh, has, has failed the industry. The reality is, is that there will be a further 800 jobs lost out of Adelaide. The announcement in recent times to build the first offshore patrol boats in Adelaide in 2018 does ensure that there is not 1,300 jobs lost. But 800 um, South Australian families um, are, have an uncertain future. This didn't need to be the case. It is unfortunate that this, um, these contracts have been politicised the way that they are, have been. But the, um, I, I suppose the upside of it, and we have seen this before where the government promised pre the last election to build 12 submarines in Australia, backflipped. So we are uh, pleased that the decision has been made to build future ships and submarines in Australia, but we'll hold this government to ensure that they do. Why, why do you think they're doing this? Do you have a theory? Does the union have a theory as to why the government would do this? Well, the government, we know these vessels need to be um, built. The issue is is that there's long lead times in relation to these projects. It's, it's not a matter, these vessels aren't available and need to be designed. The simple fact is, is that the government could have taken a decision on two fronts. One was the future supply ships, which they have effectively awarded to Spain. And the second was the replacement of our icebreaker, Aurora Australis which they have awarded the contract to a Romanian shipbuilder. You know, one would think that if this government um, on their mantra was about um, growth and jobs, that they would have secured the jobs uh, with these contracts of these vessels that need to be built and contracts have been awarded. They've made uh, announcements as a result of a, a two-and-a-half-year-long campaign where workers from right around the country... Um, took to the streets on no less than 14 occasions, had run a strong political campaign forcing the politicians into this position. Let's not forget why they acted. They acted because their friends in South Australia, their jobs were on the line. Um, we're in the middle of an election campaign. Um, we'll ensure that we hold the government to account to make sure they address the issue of building these future vessels here in Australia. That's it for today's Stick Together. It's our annual Radiothon, so if you want to keep us going, you can ring 0394198377 or log on to 3cr.org.au to donate. Thanks for listening. Thanks to Jeannie Ray, Craig Kelly and Glenn Thompson for talking to us today. Stick Together is produced at 3CR Studios in Melbourne and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. The podcast is available at 3cr.org.au and you can contact the producers of the show at sticktogether3cr at gmail.com or by calling 03 9419 8377. My name's Annie McLaughlin. Catch you next time. <laughs>